This episode is with guest Harmony Niles, the founder of Kink from the Couch. We explore ritual in relationships, BDSM as the new romance, her experience as a pro-dominant, acceptance and releasing shame around what may feel unacceptable for oneself, touching into core erotic themes and embodying fantasies, as well as dominance and submission in life and fantasy. This episode contains explicit and sexual content and language and may not be suitable for all audiences or ages. Please use your own discretion. Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Embody Podcast, a show about remembering and embodying your true nature, inner wisdom, embodied healing, and self-love. My name is Candace Wu, and I'm a holistic healing facilitator, intuitive coach, and artist sharing my personal journey of vulnerability, offering meditations and guided healing support, and having co-creative conversations with healers and wellness practitioners from all over the world. Do you wish for better sleep for the holidays? The Sound Sleep album is on sale through the new year for $11. And this episode is sponsored by that album. It's an album of 11 healing experientials and meditations, plus yoga poses and marma points, and a spiritual guide that helps you feel more grounded, restful, easeful in your sleep, and embodied throughout the day. It's a stepping stone towards healing trauma, feeling embodied, bringing your nervous system baseline to more relaxation and calm, and looking at the deeper aspects of sleep issues. So your support in ordering the album helps me make more healing albums, more content, and produce more podcast episodes. This album was a delight to make, and I hope you enjoy it. I would be so grateful if you considered offering to a friend who would like better sleep or someone who wants to feel more embodied in their lives. You can find that at CandiceWu.com slash soundsleep. So we have Harmony Niles today on the podcast. I'm so excited to share this episode with you. It was incredibly fun to talk with her and to talk about a topic that I haven't really talked much about on the podcast specifically is sex and sexuality, fantasies, as well as BDSM. All of these are topics of interest to me, and it was great to share that with Harmony. Harmony is the founder of Kink from the Couch. It's a somatica counseling practice based in San Francisco, and her energy about sexuality, fantasy, and exploring erotic themes is incredibly inspiring, beautiful, full of grace, humanity, and compassion. The somatica method is a really interesting one. It recognizes that we learn primarily through our bodies, which is very similar to somatic experiencing. When using a combination of talk therapy and experiential exercises, Harmony leads her clients to embrace their full sexual selves without shame. And under her guidance, you'll find your own erotic embodiment while developing and negotiating practical BDSM skills and other vital practices that can bring healthy kink into your relationship. So whether you're in San Francisco or far away, she is an excellent resource and counselor to connect with on this topic. And just to share a little bit more about Harmony's path to being a sex counselor, it included learning about Tantra, orgasmic meditation, the human potential movement, and NLP. And she was an independent professional dominant for a decade. 
She developed her DS skills, her dominant submissive skills, at Clio Dubois Academy of SM Arts and studied bondage with Midori. So a beautiful thing about this episode being published today, December 17th, 2018, is that it is International Day to End Violence Against Sex Workers. So the Sex Workers Outreach Project uh, is an organization that joins sex workers, allies, and advocates from around the world in recognizing December 17th as the day for ending violence against sex workers. And it's a day to come together to remember those that were lost in the year and to renew commitment to the ongoing struggle for empowerment, visibility, and the rights for all sex workers. The majority of violence against sex workers is not just violence against sex workers. It's also violence against trans women, against women of color, against drug users and immigrants. And so their mission speaks to the fact that we cannot end the marginalization and victimization of all sex workers without also fighting transphobia, racism, stigma, and criminalization of drug use and xenophobia. So during this week, the week of December 17th annually, sex worker communities and social justice organizations will stage actions and vigils and work to raise awareness about violence that's commonly committed against sex workers. You can find more information about this at December17th.org. I'll also connect that information in the show notes along with the National Sex Worker Hotline in case you are aware of any violence against any of the populations that we just spoke about here or sex workers in general. That number for the National Sex Worker Hotline is 877-776-2004. So it's with great pleasure that I introduce Harmony to the show today, who has been a sex worker and can speak to her own experience of uh, releasing shame and supporting others in doing so in embodying their fantasies. I am honored today to have Harmony Niles on the show. Harmony is the founder of King from the Couch, which is a somatica counseling and coaching practice in San Francisco. And I'm so thrilled today to hear how Harmony incorporates helping her clients embrace their full sexual selves and the BDSM and kink experience and knowledge she has in helping people feel into their fantasies and their desires. Hello, Harmony. Hi, Candace. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's wonderful to have you. Um, how are you doing? Things are good. And um, thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm excited for the work that I'm doing. I love the clients that I have. I'm, I'm feeling really blessed. Yeah, things are very good. That's fantastic. I, I'm really excited to hear about your journey in getting to where you are today and supporting people with with their sexual being. Mm. It's been a long and winding road to get to the point that I'm at right now. And I really feel like I have completely embraced my calling. Like this is the work that I was put on this earth to do. Um, so I feel really lucky that I was able to find this very, um, I'm going to call it like a clean and clear and um, inspired way of looking at BDSM and the kind of healing that it can, could offer people. 
That is so exciting. And how did you know it was, how did you know you found your calling when you did? Was there a moment or a feeling that you had? Mm-hmm. Trying to think back when there was an actual moment. There was a moment, oh, years ago, over 10 years ago, um, when I was in a like transformational workshop and I had this feeling of like, I want to be a dominatrix. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking like, and I felt so much fear around it, but also just so much excitement and turn on. Um, could I do it? Is that possible? Like, could I handle it? And, um, and then I really started pursuing that again with lots of fear and trepidation along every step of the way. Um, but as I moved more in that direction, feeling like I was, bringing so much into my own personal life that was really good for me, ultimately. I really changed a lot as a person through that journey. And then after doing that for you know, a, a decade, mm-hmm. um, I thought about how can I keep the things that I really love about this work um, and maybe shed some of the things that um, I feel done with. And what I really loved was listening to my clients' fantasies. Oh, wow. I would listen to their fantasies and really like pay attention to all those rich details, all the minutia of it. And I'd feel like I learned so much about them in hearing these stories. And as a dominatrix, then I would figure out the ways to deliver that feeling that they're really wanting, that feeling they're looking for. And maybe give it to giving it to them in a way that they weren't expecting something that was a little surprising. That sounds so so fun and incredible. I don't, I'm kind of in awe about it. Well, in my current work, I am still listening to people's fantasies. I mean, that's one of the um, main things that people come to me to explore. And I'm teaching them how to bring those things into their life in a healthy and safe way, how to talk to their partners about it in a way that where their partner can really get it, can really like get behind wanting to give them the feeling that they want to have, you know. To talk about it in a way that that really enrolls your partner into saying, yes, I do want to be part of that. Can you give us an example of what that language or energy sounds and feels like mm-hmm. to to bring that excitement to, to a partner or, or to a, a romantic interest? Mm-hmm. Well, I think the first step is being able to talk about your desire letting go of some of the shame. Because when we have a lot of shame around it, it's like there's a way we get tight and, um, and that's not attractive. You know, um, your partner is going to be less likely to want to jump into that scenario if, if you're feeling weird and incongruent about it, if, if you're holding it in a way, um, in a negative way. And so, yeah, like step one is just giving someone the space where they can talk about their fantasy uh, or whatever their desire is, even if it's not fully formed yet. Maybe it's not a full story, but um, just an image that they have or a feeling that they want to feel. And they can talk about that that in a way that emphasizes what it gives to them where someone can really feel like the power that it has with them, like how much they want it. Um, 
and to hold it without shame, where they can talk about it without shame so that everyone is enrolled in doing that. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It just feels so exciting to hear you talk about how you connect people with that core desire that's underneath it, the feeling that they really want to have. And I can I can just feel it in my bones and in my body and in my own experiences where um, that, that just feels like so connecting with, with myself, the deeper aspects of myself and to have that in a sexual experience and to have what you desire. Um, at least for me, I was just talking to another person about this just recently on a podcast is like having what you want is already a big step to even open up to what you desire. And how does, how does that come up for you and in, in, in your practice? Let me just clarify the question. So having what you want is a big step towards getting what you desire? Yeah, I think having even having the question of what do you desire? What do you fantasize about? And perhaps, of course, it's related to that shame piece, like to even to even be allowed or um, feel the permission to want mm -hmm. and to have something that is um, truly your your desire and your creation. Uh, I think it's such a empowering and big step, and then <laughs> then then you're taking it farther to release the shame and then go for it. Mm -hmm. Now I agree with you. It can be so empowering to just have someone listen to you in a way that's loving and accepting, that's safe, where you can feel seen in that part of yourself, maybe one that you've always wanted to hide. Now, I think mm -hmm. that when we go into relationships, we start we we start off by giving our partner this very like carefully curated version of ourselves, and we mm -hmm. put forward all like the sweet and nice parts, um, while we know that whole time that there's perhaps darker things underneath um, that we're keeping hidden. And when you finally bring that out and like and let your partner love you there too. You can really have that experience of a feeling seen as a whole person. Oh wow! Right, I I'm just connecting to some of the fantasies that I've had, and when I've connected with them or experienced them, either by myself or with with someone, it often brings me to that place of something hidden or. Mm -hmm. um, a piece of myself that wants healing even. And I'm curious, you said you have learned so much about yourself over the, the course of being a dominatrix and working with this with yourself and your clients. Um, what are some of the things that you learned? As you were talking, I was thinking back to um, an article I wrote uh, quite a while ago, but it was about BDSM as the new romance. Because I see romance as a way to, especially like romantic gestures like flowers and candy and a lot of those sweet kind of Valentine's Day things as a way to put a marker, like an anchor point here on your feelings for someone and then offer it up and show it to them. It's like they have something tangible. You know? um, and 
kink in BDSM has lots of rituals that do essentially the same thing. It's like putting a marker on your feelings for someone and showing it to them. And maybe in this case, it's the collar around my neck is symbolizing my service to you. Or I put on a corset and as I tighten it, I feel like I'm putting on strength. As I became um, more aware of this in in my practice as a pro dom and uh, a lot of the, like the little rituals I would create, sometimes like a ritual for for different and specific clients, I started to think about oh how can I have more of these rituals in my own relationships, in my own private relationships, and I started to create little things for myself and my partners as well. Um, and then I would feel really, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, but um, really gratified and comforted and loved um, in those rituals. For example, um, me and an ex-boyfriend of mine, we had a ritual about how we always said goodbye to each other, where he would take my hand in his and kiss my palm. You know, it's a very uh, sweet sweet gesture. It's not necessarily, you know, submissive per se. It's just meant to show like a moment of devotion. Mm. And it is hard to be mad at someone when they are doing this sweet gesture of kissing your palm. It was oh, like yeah. a good way for us to always like close in a loving space uh, to reconnect to, you know, that connection between us. That's beautiful. Yeah. And then I started getting crazy with it. And I uh, um, created rituals for myself around like keep my own self-discipline in the morning. Um, now I do little rituals with my daughter. Like I, I love the way that it, it brings us back to this kind of shared intention. I love that. It's, um, it's like the practice of reminding yourself the connection that you have with someone or with yourself and what you want to be experiencing and mm -hmm. cultivating that. And I, I just imagine this picture of like dipping a cloth into dye over and over and it just becomes richer and richer. Oh, that's a beautiful image. I'm curious about your experiences as a dominatrix and did you, what did you find for yourself? Was this empowering for you? Was it healing? Did you find challenges with it? Uh, what was that like for you? I'm going to say yes, yes, and yes. It was definitely, <laughs> it was definitely empowering. It was definitely challenging. <laughs> um, in fact, it's crazy to think that uh, even after having years of experience, I would still feel so much fear and nervousness, like right before doing a scene, especially if it was something. Um, you know, complicated or challenging. And it was a good practice for me to feel that fear and walk into it anyways, you know, step forward mm -hmm. anyways. Mm -hmm. One of the things that um, is challenging about this type of play is that you really need to be present and paying attention in every moment so that you can really feel the connection between yourself and, and your partner and know when um, the moment the energy starts to go in a way you don't want it to, um, to know right away, you know, mm -hmm. to, to not get stuck into any ruts, but, but to always be paying attention, um, which is great practice for life. 
Right. <laughs> I was just thinking that the, the amount of presence and attunement and um, sensing in that it's that calls is called for in that um, interaction. That's profound. I wrote an article recently that I called what to do when you don't know what to do. And I think what inspired me to think about this topic is I realized back when I was practicing dominance professionally, one of my greatest fears was what happens when I get to that moment where I don't know what to do. And now the like one of the biggest questions I get from clients is, you know, what happens when I don't know what to do next? Or, um, you know, or are my skills good enough to do this next? You know, it's like everyone seems to be wanting to wait until they have um, all of the skills and all of the confidence. But if you wait for the day that that comes, I mean, that's that's a mythical day. That that's never going to come. Yeah, absolutely. You, like you're never going to feel <laughs> perfectly confident and like you have all the skills mm-hmm. for everything. Of course, it's great to, you know, invest in working on those things. And that's a lot of what I help clients do now is help them work on their confidence, teach them skills. Um, But also, I want to teach them an acceptance for the fact that there is going to be times when you don't know what to do yet next. And I've given a lot of like, practical tips around, okay, that moment of We'll, we'll call it existential uncertainty has arisen. And so mm-hmm. um, what are some of the things that you can do next? What can you try? What kind of techniques can you pull out? So the, a matter of um, exploring, exploring the different possibilities that can arise from that moment. Yeah. In many of those moments, I think, like, I think those moments can be a real gift. So the first thing is I tell people to do is don't be afraid to go slow and take that moment, you know, to, to feel the sweetness and the, the poignancy of that kind of lull in the action, because energy can't just go up, up, up forever. There needs to be periods of, of falling energy where you're relaxing and savoring. You're, you're getting ready for what the next peak would be. Those seem like really very sweet moments if mm-hmm. you can, tender moments if you can sink into them and surrender there. Yes. What yeah. I would usually do is I would stand close to my partner. Maybe I'd put my hand on his chest, lock eyes with him, and just take a moment to breathe. And in those moments, I would start to feel more of what he's feeling. And then it's like magically, inspiration would usually come. <laughs> it's like right, mm-hmm. right in those moments, inspiration would come about what to do next. Mm-hmm. It's it's like slowing down and just tuning in, yeah. and letting something arrive, arrive mm-hmm. there. That's that's a lovely reminder. And I, <laughs> before our conversation right now, we I was sharing with you how um, I've been horseback riding and playing with this dominance with a horse and how much is the right amount and what is the collaboration here. And um, I think I could very well use this, these ideas you're bringing about what to do when you don't know what to do, because there are so many times I don't know what to do. And, um, and I'm meant to be somewhat in charge in, in these moments. You, you also work with people on how to step into their dominant selves. Mm, yes. And 
what does that mean for you or for your clients and for people asking? Mm-hmm. Um, I- I'm glad that you asked that because people have a lot of different ideas around what it means to be dominant. So I, t- I have a conversation with my clients about like, what, what is it going to mean for them? How will they know when they are? <laughs> like, like if they yeah. are being what they think of as dominant, what's that going to look like over here? Like, wh- what am I going to feel in, um, in relation to that? So I try to give people uh, the opportunity to talk about that and then to practice. Okay, what is it going to be like for you to show up uh, with your dominant self with me right now? You know, how would you talk? How would you move? If we do this exercise together, like, what are the things you're going to do in it, Uh, et cetera, et cetera. Like, give them the opportunity to practice those things because it is actually really hard. Some clients um, have an idea that they want to talk in a certain way. But until you start literally practicing and like getting the words out of your mouth, There's just a learning curve there, right? I always had a lot of trouble talking dirty. I would feel silly. I would feel self-conscious. You know, I I would be resistant and not wanting to do it because I just felt like, oh, I don't sound good. But you know what? Now I can do it really well. (laughs) And it's because I've practiced. (laughs) Nice. Yeah, there's such a difference between just talking about what you think you want to do or what you're going to do and actually practicing mm-hmm. it and using your voice and using your movement. Um, that's really mm-hmm. exciting. I think the words dominant can also have certain like meanings and connotations for people. Generally, in my practice, I try to just talk about it from, are you going to take a position of control? Or are you going to take a position of surrender? Just to give people more of a sense of like the flexibility there. You might start off in a position in control Mm -hmm. and end in a position in surrender. You might um, be passing control back and forth, like within the context of a certain scene, a certain night, or your relationship in general. That dominant doesn't have to be like some rigid category that you're either in or you're not, but uh, something that you play with. Yeah, that sounds a lot more like um, daily life and just how can you bring in those different parts of you to interact at different times and what's needed or what's desired. Yeah, and this goes back to you and your horse too. It's like what, um, what piece of bringing your dominant self or show of force in an interaction um, is the right thing for that moment. And what might be the right thing for that moment is actually more softness. Yeah, I think so. And what you were saying earlier about paying very close attention, it was in a moment that I wasn't paying close attention that something kind of went haywire. (laughs) And um, just bringing that amount of attention and attunement to the horse uh, I think it's going to do a great deal to know, to figure out what to do or to receive some more information. So I'm also curious, Harmony, about the shadow aspects of the work and and the experiences that um, 
that you have with yourself and with people. I guess I'm curious about what you find in terms of BDSM or kink or different scenes and fantasies. What is the healing aspect or what is what what are the shadow aspects that come up? I know these are very broad questions, but what do you see as interesting about this right now? Let's see. I think that to be able to bring out some part of yourself that you've really kept under wraps, I mean, all of our shadow stuff comes out eventually at some point, right? It's um, it's going to come out in some like moment when you're really triggered or you're not feeling in control when you're not able to um, like keep that under wraps. And then it might come out in some like icky way that you're that you don't want. Um, so by creating a safe space where you can bring that part of yourself out to play in a way that feels good to you, in a way that's like healthy and safe for everyone involved, I think it's going to make that that thing like less loud in the rest of your life. Do you get what I'm saying? Like maybe if um, what you really are trying to keep down and stifle is, um, you know, this angry part of yourself or this cold part of yourself or this really harsh or domineering or aggressive part of yourself. And you give that a space to come out in um, a nice, like safe container, then it, it's going to be less loud in the rest of your life. So maybe you'll find yourself like better with your coworkers. Um, more patient with your children, nicer to your pets, because you've gotten to express these parts of yourself um, in other ways and been able to feel like fulfilled and seen there. You know, that angry part of myself is okay too. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as you're saying that, it's, it's reminding me of the power of creating that safe container within a relationship that allows that sort of play to come through and witnessing of of these either more painful parts of us or parts we do keep hidden um and within that container of the relationship it it feels like a play it feels like um we're going to entertain and not entertain but we're going to bear witness to all these different parts of ourselves I guess the words that are coming to me are be okay with them, not just be okay, but honor them. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think for me, what, one of the things that I really got from this type of work is that I was able to create um, a space where I had complete control, where everything that's happening is because I'm choosing it. Um, you know, I'm like completely calling the shots. And that's not something that I had experienced much of in my life. Um, and so I found myself like trying to control things, but not really being able to and being frustrated about that and feeling powerless. Or So when I went into this work and became a dominatrix, just the idea that I can have it exactly as I want it was so comforting and um, just good for me. I felt myself less desiring mm-hmm. to control everything mm-hmm. else in my life because I had an area where I could be in control. And so it let me relax in some other areas. The irony, of course, is like when, you're, when you are in a scene, it's like you might 
have this fantasy that you're in total control. But of course, you're not. You're very much needing to, you need to surrender to the moment that's happening. And so it helped get me beyond that need for control um, in general. It's like I started to see the, um, mm. the, the falseness of it, the, um, yeah, just like the uselessness of it. You know, here I am in this, like, in this scene where I've completely controlled everything, but you're still surrendered to the moment, you know, and, and all my trappings of control are just trappings. It feels like all an illusion. Yeah. And you start to see the illusion of that. And then my desire to have um, everything perfectly, you know, like my ducks always in a row, I started to relax around that. Uh huh. Yeah. I can imagine that. I know. It's like I realized, you know, it's, it's, it's not that meaningful, <laughs> right. anyways. That's fascinating. I'm often more in a submissive role. And I think that I desire that because of the amount of at least perceived control that I feel like I have in my life. And, um, I think I take a lot of initiative and I'm very proactive in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. and letting things be, letting myself surrender to the moment and not be in that control, letting things arrive and uh, be experienced. It's, it's such a nice balance as you said as well for you. So I can relate very much to that. Mm Mm-hmm. So what feels alive to you lately? Any themes or um, personal or client themes? Okay, like um, problems that I've been working on. Sure. That's, that's, yeah. Love to hear about that. (sighs) Well, in the current Me Too climate, um, many of my clients are asking about consent. And I've also been thinking about consent in my own life and my relationship with it, you know, from the time that I was young till now and how that's changed, you know, what advice to give to people who, you know, want to do the right thing and also want to go for their desires as well. Mm-hmm. And it's been a really interesting um, to be thinking about and to exploring it and um, I have come up with some good exercises around like exploring consent. Um, and I'm the, the, the exercises that I'm trying to do is, is around getting consent non-verbally and um, checking in through the course of an interaction to, to just be sure that your partner is still with you, you know, um, that there's still a yes that they're still like engaged in what's going on. And, and that's tough to do on both for, for both sides of the equation or for both partners, right? Cause we always have moments of where we're maybe dropping out of being completely present. We've gone into our heads mm-hmm. for a second or we start to fantasize about something else. So a way to like, keep your, to draw yourself back, be present, reconnect to your partner and ensure that you have consent going ahead that they're still into it, that they're still with you. And I've been thinking of like, how to do that in, in a way that feels seamless, how to do it in a way that um, isn't a, let's stop and talk about it. Can I touch you here now? Right. You know, because <laughs> that's not hot. Um, right. And as much as you know, this is a climate where we, we need to ask for permission for what we want to do, I do know that 
often when um, when players are asked, it's like, oh, well, I did want it until you asked me. <laughs> you know, um, that that can like throw you back into into a more resistant place. So yes, I've been working on different exercises to uh, teach people like how to pay attention to their partner's body so that they know when they're, when they're reaching a boundary, when they're maybe crossing a boundary or when like any kind of resistance in their partner is coming up. So that can be addressed in a way that's, you know, still, still, still sexy, um, subtle enough, but clear also. Yeah. I, I'm thinking about this movie. I can't remember what it's called, but there was like a teenage couple and the guy kept saying, do I have your permission to, do I have your permission to kiss you? Do I have your permission to X, Y, and Z? And mm-hmm. he had to, he was asking on every single thing. And I love this idea of nonverbal communication being and being seamless about it, being so in tune with each other. And I'm imagining that's, having a lot to do with eye contact and breath and body tension versus openness. What, what are some of the things that you teach people to sense into and look out for? On this topic, I'm so happy that I can do really experiential work, you know, one-on-one with people oh, because it does yeah. look different um, for different players and, and for what you're doing. That's why I'm having trouble even like describing it right now because it's something that mm-hmm. is hard to put into words. Um, and this might be a situation where I would practice with a client. Like if, if I'm having him touch me in a particular way and then he starts to get to an area where I feel nervous about or, or that's a boundary for now, you know, where he can feel how my body reacts you know, how my breathing might change, um, how, just how the, like the energy changes too. And he can pick mm-hmm. up on it right away. And then min- maybe lovely. in some cases revisit that boundary because that was my boundary, you know, 10 minutes ago. As play goes on, boundaries can shift. And I think that you, I do want to, to teach people to go up against the boundary, to not push too hard, but don't be afraid to go there either. Sounds like a really juicy spot. Mm-hmm. It is that kind of um, that point of resilience. There's something about going right to the edge of the experience mm-hmm. and the boundary that feels uh, exciting. It feels like yes, no, mm. yes, yeah. <laughs> and something something new to learn there, uh-huh. perhaps. And I think that's what we all want. Like we want to go right up against our boundaries, and and ultimately we're going to really respect the the partner who can take us there. And it takes a little bit of bravery, um, but also a whole lot of paying attention and sensitivity uh, so that you're, you're going to the edge and you're not going over it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And as you do this work, the somatica work with your clients, what are some of the more practical uh, common questions you're getting? I, I know you mentioned that to me before, some common questions that people are just wanting to know about. Mm -hmm. I talk a lot about negotiation skills and I often will get questions about that. Um, And I've written a a couple of articles about negotiation too. We can link those in the show notes. Oh, sure. Okay, great. And 
some of the questions that I get might be like very, very practical, like uh, a woman who wants to give her partner the experience of being really manhandled and dominated, even though, you know, she's um, a lot smaller than he is and that she's very petite. So what kind of techniques can she use to give her her sense, that feeling of feeling big? you know, a feeling strong here. And that can also give him the experience of feeling like helpless under her touch. Um, and there, there are like practical things that you can do um, with the setting, with your costume, with like, you know, putting some good rope handles on him so that makes it easier for you to move him mm -hmm. around. You know, so I will, when appropriate, like, bust out rope and teach someone, ah, oh, mm -hmm. th this harness could work really good in this situation. And this might help you feel the thing that you want to feel or feel the thing that he wants to feel. So I can be very practical, like around those type of um, tips of, and advice. Um, and I like to talk about things on a higher level too. Like if you want to feel that strength and dominance. What can you do in preparation for a scene to help give yourself um, that feeling? I like to do archetype work when, uh, when appropriate. And I do like to have a conversation with clients about play archetypes and what working with um, an archetype, identifying an archetype can, can help them with. And um, one of those things is knowing what to do when you don't know what to do, because you can ask yourself, well, what would my archetype do here? Now, if mm. there is um, a toy or an article of clothing that really speaks to that archetype for you, you could pick up that toy and feel like, how would my archetype use this now? How would my archetype talk? Or maybe how would my archetype tease? And that can give you some ideas about like uh, about what you want to do next or what direction to go in. And it can help you feel that dominant power, that feeling that you might be looking for. I love that. It's like tuning into that, to the energy of the archetype that can just open up all the ways of being that come with it. Mm -hmm. One of the things that um, I've liked about using uh, archetypes in, in my own scenes is that I never think of it as acting, but it is allowing me to bring out this part of myself, you know. And when I ask myself, oh, what would this archetype do? And I start doing that thing, I can find myself really like falling into it really easily to, to becoming that image. Um, and it feels very authentic. It feels true to me. And that's one of the things I love. You know, it, does, it doesn't feel like I'm forcing it. It doesn't feel like acting. Mm -hmm. It's like I'm just opening that door and letting that part come out. That's a, such an interesting line or edge that you're talking about, this experience of being authentic yet embodying an archetype or energy or some part of yourself. And where the line between that authenticity is and the acting or the not feel not feeling like it's you or mm -hmm. forcing it. I'm not sure if, what the words would be here. 
I do know what you mean, though, and that because and that feeling of forcing it—that's not the feeling you want to have. Like right? it's like it's really hard for things to flow when um, when you feel like you're efforting. You want to embrace it authentically so that it feels effortless, or it's just flowing out of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it feels almost like it's a flattening, disconnecting experience to mm-hmm. be in that acting place. Yeah. Where can it come from within? Yeah. And, and that being said, it's like I'm saying, I want it to be effortless, but you know what? You might have to practice a little bit and put a little yeah. effort in. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you put a little effort in, in practice time or in your own downtime or in session with me. And then like in the moment, it can feel more effortless. Yeah. That's a great reminder of that practice because at first it might feel completely uncomfortable. Yeah. And that's good. That means you're coming up to your own edges and you're expanding yourself. That's what we all want. Yeah. So in the work of Somatica, um, I think, I'm not sure how um, the people listening, how much familiarity they'll have. So I wondered if you could share a bit more about uh, the way that touch is incorporated. I'd say in a typical session, well, maybe I shouldn't talk about a typical session because they they all can be very different. But we might start out with um, talking, checking in, feeling into the issues that um, are arising for someone um, in that particular day or that week. Um, and as someone talks to me about like what's going on for them, my mind will start to turn on what's the experience that would help them here. Mm. And then I'll start to think of an exercise or something experiential we can do that will help illustrate where it's going to give them the experience that I think that what they is what they need next. Well, some of these experiences might not include touch um, because the experience of, of talking to someone of like, of sharing your desire, especially if it's something that you have shame around and feeling that you're being listened to and supported and completely seen, that's an experience too. But many of the exercises that I like to do, do involve touch. Um, and maybe sometimes some, uh, you know, rough touch, if that's the direction that the client needs to go in and if that's what they need to feel, and I'm, I'm lucky that I've had, you know, as much experience in the BDSM scene as I have, because I can say what feels good to me and give adjustments about like, what would make it feel better? You know, like mm-hmm. if someone is, um, for example, if someone is grabbing my hair by the back of the, by the back of my neck, you know, there's a way that that can feel off and painful there's a way where it can feel actually really kind of good comforting like you're being held you know like Mm -hmm. like picking a kitten up by the scruff of their neck and so if we practice that thing i can give the adjustments of like oh no you need to be a little lower or you need to be a little stronger okay and then feel what it feels like after you've made that adjustment and can you tell the difference now that my my body is responding a little differently notice that. Mm-hmm. How fun. You know, it is really fun. <laughs> I feel really <laughs> lucky. <laughs> it's not so fun. It's like making me interested in going into that realm of work. I mean, I do, 
I do do work with clients as far as their fantasies and um, some BDSM and kink in stepping into what they would like for themselves or embodying the core feelings they want to have around their experiences. But I haven't delved into, uh, I think, what Somatica brings a lot, which is the interactive touch that you can do with a client. And that's not something I've delved into, but hearing you talk about it, it just sounds so exciting. I feel like I've gotten a lot from it too. Like I've gotten mm-hmm. very clear on my own boundaries and um, and being a yes when I'm a yes and a no when I'm a no um, in a way that's clear and clean and non-blaming where I'm not like putting something on someone else. Um, and that's just helped me in every area of, in my life, especially my dating life. Oh, wow. Yeah. A lot of congruence mm-hmm. with your inner self and showing up outward and responsibility, it sounds like. So uh, you have an audience gift to all the listeners, um, understanding your core erotic themes. Uh, would you tell us about that? Yes. Well, really, it's more of a gift for me than a gift for anybody (laughs) else. Uh, Because what I'm offering is um, to have a structured conversation around exploring your core erotic themes. And in this, I would want to hear about my client's fantasy or maybe um, a few fantasies, preferably even something that they've held for a long time, something long cherished, maybe that they remember from when they were young, something that's kind of a reliable turn on for them. And once we talk about that, then I'd love to be able to give them some insight into um, how they might create this in their lives, how they might talk about it with a partner, and what are some of the things that maybe they haven't seen yet that's part of their turn on. Because often there's details that that we don't notice right away, um, that we might need like an outside person to point out to us, uh, where we we see like, oh, that's that's a piece of it that I didn't actually realize was there, but it showed up in a couple of these different scenarios. Oh, that's so fun. Right. I can see where I might not be aware of some piece that's actually the the piece that's bringing the excitement or the the feeling. Yeah. That's very interesting. Right. Yes. I, well, I would love to be your first person. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah. What were you going to say? Oh, I was, um, I was going to give an example. Um, oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. It, it, a conversation I had with a friend not too long ago, but he was telling me about a fantasy and then about one of his like hottest sexual experiences. And I noticed that in each of these things or these, these stories, these scenarios, there was a third party disapproving <laughs> like outside of the room or outside of the relationship. And I just pointed that out to him. And he was like, had so much surprise. He was like, oh my God, yes. I didn't never oh. thought of that before. <laughs> you know, so it, it gave him something to think about, yeah. about like what this like third party disapproval, how much that is, um, tied into his feeling of like transgression and hotness. And this is like so exciting, partly because it's pissing off someone else. 
<laughs> and that's okay, right? You know, like things like, um, you know, guilt or anger or going against the rules. Like these are aphrodisiacs for a lot of people. And they're sometimes ones that we don't recognize. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And it's just painting such a picture of how we can accept so many parts of ourselves that maybe in daily social social life society that we don't bring out or see as mm, i don't know socially palatable mm-hmm. or desirable mm-hmm. but in this context to be able to um bring them to life and feel that mm-hmm. permission to experience them that's it's so powerful well thank you so much harmony is there anything else you'd like to share today with with who's listening. Um, um, here's something I realized in exploring some of my own fantasies. Now, I did this in a workshop that I was in like super long time ago, 10 years ago. And uh, the assignment was I needed to write out three fantasies and then bring them to class the next week and share them with a partner. And it, the teacher just wanted us to have the experience of, of being honest and vulnerable. So I got super into it. I wrote out these three fantasies. I was really um, excited about how like different they were. I thought that, oh, I'm showing so much range here. And, and <laughs> I, yeah. I wrote them really, really well. So I was excited about the fantasies that I brought in. And then it was like, Right before I needed to read them to a partner and I'm looking over them and I realized like, wait a second, all three of them are cocksucking fantasies. You know, I I thought they were so different. (laughs) 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 And and they're actually literally about the same activity, but it was very different flavors of of that you know like in one of Mm -hmm. them i was very dominant and another submissive the other one was just kind of funny and wacky um (laughs) and i was a little (laughs) bit like not happy at first about this realization it it didn't feel feminist enough of me to have like all my fantasies be about cocksucking you know where where they mostly com- culminate in someone else's orgasm and not my own like that didn't jibe well with my feeling of um yeah. like my desire around like my own empowerment around my feelings as a feminist and so i was like what the hell? What's what's going on with me <laughs> for right. for a little while? And I did a lot of like questioning oh. around that too. So it was yeah. really useful work for me to do. And I started to relate some of the feeling that I get from that activity to some of my own childhood experiences. Um, you know, partly it's just I just like it, right? I have a cock fetish. And there's, there's also a way in which like to be a little bit ignored or to be the tool for someone else's pleasure is really hot for me. And, and that does very much connect yeah. to like my experiences in childhood and um, feeling like ignored as a child or like I needed to fight for approval that I constantly needed to prove myself. And so in sex, I was often trying to prove myself 
trying to like prove how strong I am or how much I can take, um, wanting approval, but not wanting that approval to be easy. Like I need to struggle around it. Right. I, I, it's, it's funny because I'm hearing you put words to your experience and I can completely, it's almost like I'm saying those words. Like I think we're, um, I can really relate to you on that same, Mm -hmm. those themes and that experience. And the other thing I was thinking when you shared that you weren't quite happy with noticing this part of yourself that seemed to go against the grain of your feminist self is how, how much we can judge our fantasies or make, make, make meaning of them. And I think they're embedded with meaning, but the meaning of just having that fantasy and how it can rub against another part of you. Exactly. And one of the things I like to talk to um, clients about is that when I see that they have um, some kind of something like that, some activity coded to mean a certain thing, it's just to question that reality. Like, does that really mean that? You know, Um, does it mean that in some circumstances, Mm. but Mm -hmm. not others? You know, it just trying to bring a little bit more flexibility there. And and especially this idea around like to be submissive or of service is um, a weakness is is totally false. For me, I was actually looking for a feeling of strength that I'm the one who's strong enough to do this, you know, to, to provide this, to, to take this, whatever it is to be, to be taken. And I think that, um, many players who like to play the submissive side of the equation are, are looking for similar feelings. It's, it's more about proving that they're strong than feeling weak or just feeling the tension between those two things. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense and connects me back with some of my own desires with that. I think feeling my own strength, feeling that I can, I can take it. And also, um, hmm, I can't quite put words at the moment, but, um, I hear myself just repeating the words you said, <laughs> So, <laughs> but, um, there's something about reclaiming, maybe not reclaiming, but being in the strength and resilience that was there in me all those years growing up that I got ignored and um, perhaps was used in a lot of ways emotionally or interactively. And to really step into the other side of that, of feeling the strength and feeling that I did it and I can do it mm-hmm. um, is extremely empowering. Yeah, I agree. For me now in um, my sex yeah. and dating now, so I know that this is a feeling that I like, that feeling of having to struggle, that feeling of um, needing to like prove myself or fight for attention. And I can bring just more consciousness to having that in a way that works <laughs> rather than a way that's going to um, mm. <laughs> be bad for the relationship or destroy the relationship. Oh, and what is what do you mean by that? Like what works and what doesn't? It might be like I had a date with someone recently where I took a movie 
over to his place, this um, foot fetish film that I was in a long time ago. He projected it onto the wall and I sucked his cock while he was watching it. And I felt like that was really hot for me. But that feeling of um, being the star that's on the screen, but also performing this service where I'm kind of being ignored mm-hmm. because he's watching the screen. There, there was just something about like, the different threads in that, that uh, was a real turn on for me at the time. And I could create something to have that experience with him, which means I'm not like uh, kind of getting him to ignore me in other ways, which I think I have done before with, with other partners, you know, like I've been, I've been not very accepting of attention when I get it. And so that's, you know, teaches people not to give me much attention, which then is, you know, pleasurable and painful at the same time. Right. So now I'm trying to create those experiences in just more purely pleasurable ways. <laughs> I get what you mean. I think I'm getting what you mean, um, where it kind of comes out sideways in, in the dynamic of the relationship mm-hmm. in an unpleasant way or maybe destructive way, whereas it could be extremely pleasurable and fun. Is that what you mean to create it more intentionally? It is. It's about like, if I know the experience that I want to have, like, and, and even it be more accepting of um, what I might judge as the negative aspects of that experience, like a desire to be ignored. Um, how can I make that in a way that's going to be more fun and be more contained? You know, like, mm-hmm. so... That's the, this is the moment to have that experience. And then I don't have to be feeling it the rest of the time. Yeah. You know, if, I, if I really like to feel used, you know, but I don't really want to feel used all the time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I do want to feel used. So I can, I can set it up in a way that's going to feel good to me. And it feels like um, the difference between it being a state of being in the dynamic versus that more isolated um, set experiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's then separated from like my sense of identity. Like if I'm being used, it's not because that's all I am or that's all I'm good for or these other things that I might have it mean. It's because it's an experience I'm choosing to have in, in this container. And what I'm getting as well, uh, or just what I'm thinking about as, as we're talking about this is the amount of ownership and responsibility that goes into even saying that I want to be ignored. I like to feel ignored and it turns me on. And that transition of resisting some of the pain and experiences that, that live in us and not, like, not owning them, not wanting to feel them at all, mm-hmm. which I think is also you know, part of having boundaries and part of what we might need to and want to experience but where it turns over into well what if I do want that yeah and what if it is pleasurable in some way another thing I've been thinking about in this topic is how 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 there's this pleasure in that the poignancy of that kind of pain that um for you to take on an experience like like feeling ignored you know it 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 is a turn on and there's a pleasure there and there's a little bit of like a, like a, uh, you know, like it, like it hurts so good, 
you know, um, mm. feeling mm-hmm. and letting that be okay. You know, it does. I don't think life is about, you know, being happy, happy, joy, joy all the time. It's, it's more about, um, feeling like how pleasure and pain can be deeply intertwined and that there's a real like poignancy, um, to the human experience, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and suffering is part of that. Absolutely. feels like the fullness and dimension of the pleasure and pain being together. Mm -hmm. Some of the moments I've felt the most alive have been, um, in, a BDSM context where I'm going through extreme pain and like just the, the, the feeling of intensity, the feeling of aliveness. It's like, it's like a pleasure that's better than pleasure. You know, it's, it's, it's like an orgasm mm-hmm. beyond bodies. I can um, feel, feel that as you're saying it I, and relate to it. And the thing I'm thinking now is when was the last time I checked in with my fantasies? And it feels, it feels almost like such a healthy thing to do and a very connecting thing to do for myself where right now I'm thinking I feel quite disconnected at the moment from, from those parts of me. And yes, I've been tuning into more of like life fantasies, like what do I really want for my life and what do I want to spend my time doing? And to connect back with what are my sexual fantasies it's like it feels so essential at the moment and yet it's been some time to revisit them yeah you know i honestly think it's one of those things that practice helps with too yeah um so i think we do have a ritual (laughs) (laughs) i should i'm gonna go out and make one (laughs) That'd be great. Yeah. A lot of people who say that they don't fantasize do frequently, but it might be such fleeting thoughts, you know, like the image that just kind of flips through your mind and is is lost. Those those dreams that we have in that space of um, being half awake, half asleep, where, where you're not really paying attention, but your fantasies are there. So the practice can just be like, bringing more attention, you know, when an image does arise, like, oh, look at that. If I fleshed that out more, mm-hmm. what would that look like? Mm-hmm. That's great. That's really helpful. Or you could even sit down daily and, um, and write something like, ooh, what would I want right now? If there was no shame and nothing to hide, if I could have anything, what would I want? Oh, that's great. I'm going to do that very soon. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Harmony. I've uh, learned a lot about you and and about what you're sharing. It's been really fun to dive into this with you and hear your stories as well. Um, where can people find you if they're interested in your work? I would love for them to check out my website, kinkfromthecouch.com. And there's a contact form there if they'd like to reach out to me. Um, I'd be happy to have a 20-minute call with anyone who's interested in exploring this type of work, maybe has more questions about it or uh, wants to know what I can be able to offer them. You know, then we can talk about that. Fabulous. Thank you. Well, it's been such a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. 
you so much, Harmony, for being on the show with us today and for all of you out there that are listening in, getting curious with us and exploring your own sexual experience. I found it very exposing and vulnerable to share certain things on the show here today, even though I didn't share all that much. But to have Harmony on the show with her specific set of experiences and her comfort level was incredibly fun and offered the space of safety that I could even share some things here. It's It really speaks to the level of shame in our society that um, talking about our sexuality, which is such an important aspect of who we are, is so uh, shameful sometimes or taboo or can bring shame. We're just having to release lots of layers of that shame in life now. It's like the most creative aspect of our lives. And here we are keeping that under wraps and feeling scared to share about them when we all have some aspect of our sexuality, even if it's being asexual, to speak to about our experience. It's very normal. So thanks for listening. I would love to hear your experiences, your thoughts, curiosities, and uh, feel free to reach out to Harmony with exploring your choreotic themes. And you're more than welcome to reach out to me to share your experiences, to gain further support or develop in your embodiment, or to work with any trauma around sexuality, sexual experiences, your body. If this was fun for you, be sure to tune into the visual visualization experience that Harmony offers. It's about getting to the heart of your hottest sexual fantasy, where you'll dive into your hottest sexual fantasy, whether it's kinky or not. And Harmony will walk you through a somatica practice of embodying this fantasy that's specific to you and zeroing in on the choreotic themes that really turn you on. Look out for that later this week as it comes out on the podcast. And just to preface this all, experiences like visualizing your hottest sexual fantasy don't always bring the inspiration or um, excitement and fun that we hope it to or that uh, perhaps we'd like it to. I recognize it also can bring fear, anxiety, shame. It can trigger trauma or other experiences that have not been good around sexuality or the body. And that's why it's really important and helpful to have support. So if that pertains to you, don't hesitate to reach out to Harmony or to me. And we are connected with a whole network of health practitioners and embodiment coaches, therapists that can support with any of those experiences. So as we close today, I wish you all have pleasure in your lives. If you'd like to stay connected to me, feel free to sign up for the bi-monthly newsletter that goes out with podcasts and self-love and healing tips, as well as dream work courses and retreats and other information of upcoming events. You can find that at candiswoo.com embody. And if you're on Facebook, you can join the Embody community, which is a place to have community around healing and self-love. And I offer five to 10 minute videos from wherever I'm traveling or located at the moment to support embodiment. It was wonderful to be here with you today and to have Harmony on the show. Thanks so much. And I'll see you next time on the Embody podcast. 